Republicans and Democrats must join forces again to confront an urgent national crisis. Congress has 10 days left to pass a bill that will fund our government, protect our homeland, and secure our very dangerous southern border. That was Donald Trump, the president of the United States, delivering his second State of the Union address yesterday and hitting on one of his favorite topics, illegal immigration and his desire to build a border wall across our southern border with Mexico. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm very glad you've joined us. That's where we begin the conversation this hour, and that's where we're going to stay in the conversation this hour on the President's State of the Union Address. Did you watch it? Did you think he did a good job? Did you think he expressed ideas that uh, you support and can get behind? That's what we want to know from you this hour. Uh, 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. And joining us up front to talk about the speech, uh, what she heard from it, and what she expects in the coming days is Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, the newly elected Democrat from Holly. She represents Michigan's 8th Congressional District. Alyssa, Congresswoman, uh, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, let's start with what you thought of the speech last night. Yeah, well, it was my first State of the Union, um, so it's definitely different than watching it on TV, yes. um, like <laughs> I've done all these years. Um, the, uh, the uh, You know, I thought the president um, hit some notes of unity that were good, and I think that's always positive. I think what's more important than words is deeds, so I hope he follows up with that. Um, and uh, we did hear a lot about the border wall and about the situation on the border, um, I know that both sides are negotiating right now. I believe both sides want to avoid another federal government shutdown. Um, so separate from what everyone was saying last night, I, what's important to me is that there's negotiations going on. Um, and then I thought, you know, the president made reference to a lot of great things in our past, had a lot of guests there um, that were, you know, World War II um, uh, soldiers and folks who were liberated from concentration camps. And it was reminding us of, the greatness of America and some of our big accomplishments. And I think that's what we all want, right? We want the United States to be this shining beacon. Um, and, uh, you know, but it's got to be followed up with action. It can't be just words. So so as you point out, he hit some real notes of unity, at least rhetorically in the speech. Yeah. But, but he kept coming back again and again to this idea of the need for a border wall, which is not a subject that unifies Congress or or the country, quite quite frankly. I, I wonder what you make of the dissonance there, but also uh, of the prospect that we, we get another shutdown in 10 days. Yeah. So, um, again, I think both sides are trying to avoid a federal government shutdown. Uh, I think it was so bad to have such a, you know, the longest one in our history. It affected our economy. It affected thousands of upon thousands of people. So I think that's a good thing that people are trying to avoid it. Um, honestly, on the border wall, um, it's a, a lightning rod issue. The term has become a lightning rod. I actually think we're closer in the negotiation than the politicians actually lead on, right? Mm. Because you know, I'm a Democrat and I worked my entire life in the CIA and the Pentagon to protect our homeland from attack. I believe in border security. I just want it to be smart. I want to spend our money in a smart way. If we need more border agents, let's get them. If we need more technology, let's get it. If we need fencing and barriers in certain areas, 
let's do it and let's not get hung up on kind of, you know, who's going to win this battle. Both sides need an exit ramp. So I think we're closer than people think just based on what how politicians talk about it. Um, and, you know, I think the president's going to feel the need to declare that he got his wall, even if he, as he's already said, it's not going to be a concrete structure from sea to shining sea. Uh, so you sponsored a bill last week that would tie congressional and executive branch pay to shutdowns. Uh, why was this an important move as one of your first acts in Congress? And what has been the reception from your colleagues? Yeah, so the shutdown to end all shutdowns bill um, was our way. Um, there's, it's a freshman bill, and it was our way to respond to what we were hearing, frankly, um, on the ground, and certainly what I was hearing when I came through Detroit Airport and talked to federal workers. Why, they were asking me, like, why am I getting penalized um, for a debate that I have no control over in Washington, right? I'm working my, my heart out in, at TSA or at FAA or at NOAA, and I, I, why am I being penalized? And nothing seems to be happening to the actual decision makers. And as someone who is a federal government employee for 14 years, this one really struck a chord. So we crafted a bill that basically said, you, we shall not shut down our own government when the two parties can't agree. Hmm. If they can't agree on a budget, um, and they still can't agree after 30 days, then you have both, you know, the members of Congress, the members of the Senate, the president's executive office, his cabinet, they all have their, pa- their salaries suspended. No one can travel out of Washington on the government dime. They have to have daily quorum calls, so they're in Washington meeting. All the government-funded gyms and golf courses are closed. The pain is transferred from the average federal worker who's just trying to do their job to the actual decision makers. And uh, I think that'll light a a big fire under people. Um, And we've had some great reception. There's great momentum on the Hill, lots of different ideas about just preventing shutdowns as a tool between parties. So so, uh, there are each time we get a new freshman class in Congress, there's this sort of momentum that that sweeps them into office. And they talk about trying to change the culture. They talk about trying to change the way that Congress does business. I, I wonder what you make after just a few weeks there of the prospects of that actually happening this time. And this is a very different freshman class than we've had in in the past, so there there are going to be some dynamics that uh, that we might not have been able to to, to notice or, or understand before. What 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 do you make of that? Yeah, so I think anyone who you know works uh, at a company or at an organization, um, when you have a quarter, almost a quarter of your organization come in new, that changes the culture of the organization. So we've got over a hundred freshmen um, from both sides of the aisle out of a body of four hundred and thirty five. Do you feel that difference um, on average for 15 years younger than the current, you know, rest of Congress? Um, more women. Um, we're much more diverse. We have very different life experiences. A lot of us have had separate careers like myself in national security. And I think the most important thing that this class does, frankly, again, on both sides of the aisle, is when we're told, well, this is the way we do it because it's always been done this way. This class asks why. Why do we do it that way? It doesn't seem to make any sense. Just because we've done it forever doesn't mean we should continue to do it. 
Um, and given that Congress hasn't always sort of represented with them sort of uh, in the best, putting their best foot forward, I think questioning why we do the things we do is really important. Um, and I think we've seen just even early on, frankly, if I had listened to lots of senior folks um, in my own party, I would have never put out the shutdown to end all shutdowns act. Um, I had a lot of people, members of Congress who have been here a long time saying, Alyssa, you can't penalize us, you know, just be, for, in, you know, to stop federal government shutdowns. I'm not a billionaire. I need my salary. I'm like, yeah, so does the TSA guy who makes a quarter of what you so does the FAA guy who's just trying to provide airline safety. Um, so questioning the assumptions is the most common theme of this freshman class, and it's a good, good thing. I'm talking with Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, a Democrat from Holly, newly elected to represent Michigan's 8th Congressional District in Washington. We're talking about the State of the Union last night delivered by President Donald Trump. Did you watch the speech? Did you think that he uh, talked about things that you were worried that he would talk about? Uh, did he say things that reassured you about the government staying open or about immigration or about the economy? Uh, we want to hear from you this hour. We are talking all hour about the State of the Union. A little, in a little bit, we're going to be joined by Congressman Andy Levin, uh, a new Democrat who was, represent, who was elected to represent Michigan's 9th Congressional District. Uh, we'll also be joined by Randy Richardville, former Senate Majority Leader here in the state of Michigan, a Republican, uh, to talk about his reaction to the speech as well. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll get uh, your comments into the conversation. Uh, Congresswoman, I know you, you need to run, but before you go, I, uh, there is a quick question that one caller has. Chuck in Franklin, yeah. uh, go ahead. Uh, Representative Slotkin, thank you very much. Uh, it was good to see you there last night. Um, I am a Trump-hating Republican, and I was appalled and offended by his primary campaign, where he won our nom nomination, unfortunately, by saying that he was going to build a great border wall. I thought it was a stupid idea. I thought it was a stupid promise. And, of course, Mexico is not going to pay for it. But at the same time, I heard you just a moment ago, I think, make some news that seemed very sensible to me, which is that we're never going to have a great border wall down there, but we do need some border wall. We've got 350 miles, I think, now of border wall that was that was supported with bipartisan action and signed into law by presidents of both parties. Why can't you say clearly and make some news to, to your party um, leaders that, yeah, we got to have some wall here. It's not going to be anything like what Trump asked for, and he's going to take a big defeat on this. Yeah. But, I, that's a that's a great question, Chuck, uh, and, and I, I don't mean to cut you off, but the, the congresswoman does need to, to move on to, to some other things. But I want to give you a chance to answer that. Uh, are you supporting some version of what the president wants? Uh, so I don't, I'm not sure I'm making news by it because there's been a bunch of Democrats, um, 30 of us, signed a letter to our own leadership. Um, saying that we thought we needed to have a real conversation on border security. And certainly, based on my background, it's really important to me. Just let's be smart about it. And I take my cues from a lot of the representatives, Democrats and Republicans, represent the border area, right? Representative Republican Representative Will Hurd is the one saying we don't need a wall from sea to shining sea, but we do need technology. I need more border agents. 
that to me was really compelling when a Republican said exactly basically what this caller just said, let's have a practical conversation. So we're not, I don't think it's making news. I will flag that I think in this whole debate, we have focused on the extremes in the conversation, and there is a big chunk of people in the middle, myself included, who just believe in having a practical common sense negotiation. Um, we just don't always get the media focus that someone like the president or Alexander Ocasio-Cortez tends to get. So um, I, I love it that we have voters um, who believe in practicality. That's the Michigander standard. And that's kind of how I'm cut, the cloth that I'm cut from. So I appreciate it. Okay. Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, Democrat from Holly, who represents Michigan's 8th Congressional District. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. All right. Up next, we're going to talk with Congressman Andy Levin about his thoughts on the speech. And we want to hear more from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking today about President Donald Trump's State of the Union address, his second State of the Union address, which happened yesterday in Washington. Uh, We want to hear from you this hour about what you thought of the president's address, the things he talked about, immigration, the economy. He spent a lot of time also talking about anti-Semitism, a subject that kind of surprised me, at least, Uh, not something I expected him to spend a lot of time talking about. What did you think? What was your reaction uh, to the speech? And what do you think are the prospects that his calls for unity last uh, night will yield a deal with Democrats over the border wall that will keep the government open? It's only 10 days from now that the deadline for that uh, comes up again, and uh, there is no deal in uh, in in place uh, at this point. We're going to start this segment with a cut of the president's speech from last night, where he talked about another subject that I don't think a lot of people expected to hear about. Tonight, I am also asking you to join me in another fight that all Americans can get behind: the fight against childhood cancer. Many childhood cancers have not seen new therapies in decades. My budget will ask Congress for $500 million over the next 10 years to fund this critical life-saving research. Okay. Uh, welcome. I want to welcome to the program now Congressman Andy Levin, a Democrat from Bloomfield Township who represents Michigan's 9th Congressional District. Congressman, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen, how are you? Good. Uh, It's good to hear your voice. Uh, Let's start here. Last night, you tweeted, after the president delivered that line, you said, it feels sickening to sit here as a two-time cancer survivor and listen to a man who has repeatedly proposed cutting the National Institutes of Health budget use the story of a child cancer survivor for applause. What has he done to speed cancer research? Nothing. Talk about... uh, your feelings when you when you tweeted that uh, during the speech last night? Well, you know, Stephen, I've got four kids, and I, I love kids, and 
there was a beautiful child up in the gallery and we all applauded so heartily for her. And, you know, she was, a, he talked about her story for people who heard it or watched it. But I, here's a man who in both of his budgets has proposed cutting cancer funding research, cutting the national Institutes of health budget. That's, that's his record. And to use a child like that and her story for an applause line, it sickened me. And I felt that he, over and over in his speech, he, he, he got a symbologist on staff. There's no question about that. I don't know how many <laughs> stories he used, but most of them, at least this one, there was some little, you know, to, uh, relation to some proposal, but most of them had no proposal. I mean, the Holocaust survivors and World War II heroes. And I mean, what is this man doing? The speech felt overall like I was eating a bunch of potato chips and Twinkies and, you know, it, completely empty calories and, and just all symbol and no substance. So the whole thing made me pretty mad. Uh, so, so let's talk a little about the time he spent talking about anti-Semitism. Uh, I said uh, in the last segment that, that that surprised me. I, it was not something I guess I was anticipating the president would, would focus on. What did you make of what he said and why he said it? I mean, here's a man who has spread anti-Semitic memes on his Twitter account when there's a candidate. Uh, here's someone who uh, has been running our country while incidents of anti-Semitism and other hate crimes, Islamophobia, uh, all kinds of violence and hate crimes against, against the LGBTQ community are all on the rise it just seemed like empty rhetoric to me. I mean, I think he actually, in a way, it was more presidential in the sense that he just allowed a bunch of speechwriters to write something that people thought would sound good. But again, his record as president, two years now, Stephen, it bears no relationship to all that rhetoric about anti-Semitism. He was president during Charlottesville when he said there's good people on both sides. Yes. So that's who he really is as a man and as someone with a record. And so the, the, the talk about anti-Semitism, sadly, rang hollow to me. Uh, the other thing that, I guess, surprised me a bit about this speech, I mean, typically in states of the Union uh, addresses, you hear the president lay out proposals that he, he wants Congress to take up things that that he has on his mind, that that he plans to you know try to get introduced as as legislation. There was not a whole lot of that last night. In fact, I, I'm hard pressed to come up with anything other than the border wall uh, that that really represents a proposal. This seemed a little more, I guess, like a a, a campaign speech uh, hitting all of the sort of notes that he has hit consistently for his base uh, since he's been uh, campaigning and, and has been president. Uh, did that distinction uh, uh, elicit any sort of thought or, or, or feeling from you, uh, the, the distinction between what these speeches normally are and what the president did yesterday? Absolutely. I mean, that's why I talk about empty calories. Uh, because there just was no nutrition in the speech. Most of us over a certain age will remember, for example, President Clinton. I mean, President Trump went on for 90 minutes. And you remember how President Clinton would give these speeches? They were so long, but they were, you, you ended them exhausted by his in, nerdy, wonky, 
laundry list of proposals on so many things, right? Mm-hmm. Very specific and concrete. And here, President Trump went on for 90 minutes, and he proposed nothing. So, for example, on infrastructure, right? He's been president for two years. And what did he say about infrastructure? We should do infrastructure. No details, no substance. And, of course, when he did make a proposal on it, he he proposed that the federal government would pay 20% and the state and locals 80% for an infrastructure program, exactly the opposite of what's been done historically. And it was a complete non-starter with every, you know, county, county executive or commissioner or city council person or, you know, whatever, Republican or Democrat, because they don't have the resources. Uh, and, and so we're, you know, we're going to try to work with him and, the, and our Republican colleagues in the House and Senate to pass real legislation on so many issues, foreign and domestic, but he had proposals on almost None of them. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Congressman Andy Levin, a Democrat from Bloomfield Township who represents Michigan's 9th Congressional District. We're talking about President Donald Trump and his State of the Union address yesterday, the things he talked about, the subjects he talked about, uh, the speech itself, the delivery of the speech. Uh, what did you think about the State of the Union? Uh, did you take away from it the idea that uh, the president has an agenda that he wants uh, Congress to to embrace and, and move forward? Uh, did you feel like it was a campaign speech, uh, very similar to the things that the president has done over and over, not just on the campaign trail, but since he has been president, trying to get his base excited about some of his ideas. Uh, what did you take away from the State of the Union? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to uh, Stefan in uh, Harper Woods. Good Welcome. morning, gentlemen. How are you? Oh. I was just commenting that I caught in the speech, he didn't apologize for the shutdown and how it affected, you know, over almost 800,000 people. I thought that was really bad. And it just solidified to me that he has no principle, no honor. And I'm surprised he didn't thank President Putin for electing him to his job. Thanks. Great show. Stefan, <laughs> okay. uh, I appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Uh, Congressman, talk about the shutdown and uh, the, the, the president's failure to, to really address it in those kind of terms last night. But then also talk about what the next 10 days will look like as we come up on this other deadline uh, for the government to stop functioning? Well, Stephen, I think Stefan hit the nail on the head here. I, I don't mean to get all religious on you, but, you know, I'm a person of faith. I mean, my Bible says in multiple places that you will pay your workers before sundown. I mean, that's, you know, a couple thousand years ago here. I what it means in today's terms is, of course, we have to honor our workers and treat them well. And we, as a federal government, made people work for no pay for 35 days or made them sit home for 35 days. It was completely immoral. And a lot of us, especially the freshman class, want to pass legislation that will eliminate using shutting down the government as a tactic 
in policy disputes. No other democracy does it. And Stefan is right. The president should have apologized for the pain he caused 820,000 families and all the more than 820,000 contract workers who were forced to work without pay and they will not get any back pay. And then all the owners of barbershops and restaurants and other businesses near federal facilities who lost, you know, so much funds. We, the, the shutdown caused $11 billion of reduced GDP, at least $3 billion of which will be permanent, according to the expert, uh, you know, the economists uh, that I've seen. So um, it, he should have apologized. I also note a couple other things. He, every Democratic and Republican president that I can remember after a midterm election, when they, you know, lose ground, as often happens in, in the Congress, graciously finds a way to congratulate the, the, the other party, often humorously. He didn't start his speech doing that at all. Um, so again, a lack of sort of being a well-brought-up person who honors, you know, both sides. In terms of what's going to happen with current situation, of course, I don't know. But um, I, here's what I, I, I feel like and, and what I do know. The, the, the leadership of the House and the Senate has appointed a bunch of appropriators, Republicans and Democrats from the two chambers, to negotiate on border security. There's really not that much difference between Republicans and Democrats about this. We need some more personnel, perhaps. We need better technology. We need uh, to deal with especially drugs, hard drugs coming in at the ports of entry. The only person who's out there is this person in the White House who, again, said he wanted, he didn't say from sea to shining sea, but in his speech he said, in the vast open places, we need his wall. Well, you know, of the members of Congress who represent the border, not one of them, Democrat or Republican, uh, supports the idea of a, of a huge wall in these vast open spaces. You saw in the trial of El Chapo how he just built tunnels under him. <laughs> and, you know, the congressman who has the longest stretch of border, Will Hurd, Republican of Texas, a former CIA agent, says anybody who thinks it makes sense to build a huge wall in the Sonoran Desert doesn't know anything about border security. So, you know, I think uh, Democrats and Republicans will come together with a proposal uh, that would do a good job on border security. I just have no idea what this uh, person in the White House will will do in response. Yeah. Uh, I, before I let you go, I want to ask you about Macomb County. Uh, a part of your district, of course, is in Macomb County, and Macomb County was one of the key places in the nation that helped deliver the White House to Donald Trump in 2016. Uh, I I wonder what you hear from Trump voters in your district about what's happened over the last two years. Uh, Do do they feel as though uh, they got what they were expecting from this president? Uh, Or is there maybe a cooling off in that relationship and a a little more skepticism about uh, the choice that they made? Well, you know, almost two-thirds of the ninth District is Macomb County, mm-hmm. and all of Southern Macomb is in the district, and we're, you know, I spend a significant majority of my time there. And the, the voters in Macomb, I mean, it's, I think it's very understandable why a lot of people uh, are frustrated and may have voted for, for uh, Trump, because 
they feel like Lansing and Washington has done nothing for them fundamentally in the last many years. And I think there's, I say that with justification. It's, that's a longer, very interesting discussion, Stephen. But, you know, if you're a working person, your income's been flat for years, your kids are not better off than you were typically, and your piece of the American dream is gone or it's a great risk. And that's why Trump, he, he said the economy is so great, but it just rings hollow for my constituents. And they are cooling off to him because they want real uh, action. So let's just take health care. He said he wanted to protect pre-existing conditions last night. It's some words. He's, in fact, wanted to repeal the law that protected people with pre-existing conditions. And on trade, he passed this thing. I won't even call it NAFTA 2.0. I call it NAFTA 1.5 because it's so little different than the, the very bad trade agreement uh, that it has existed. Uh, but in December, Mexico had its biggest uh, uh, trade surplus on record for a month ever, and they had their biggest month of auto exports ever. They're building cars and selling them to us, and we, our, my, my residents and, in the Ninth District want to see real action to protect and grow family-supporting jobs right in Detroit, in Michigan, in the United States. And we don't feel like Donald Trump is delivering. He didn't even say anything about this last night, about GM and closing down the Warren, you know, transmission plant. I mean, my guest at the, at the uh, State of the Union was the president of UAW Local 909, a worker at that plant. And uh, her, her name is uh, Donna Goodwin Dye. And she, she, it was so wonderful to have Ghana there. And she just felt after the speech like he said nothing to her. And I think a lot of my constituents would feel that way. So they, you know, the voters of Macomb County are practical. They want results. All they want is to have a good job with living wages, health care, and to be able to retire with dignity. And they're not getting it right now. And that's why why I went to Congress to try to change that. And we're going to keep working on it, whoever the president is. Okay, Congressman Andy Levin, Democrat from Bloomfield Township, represents Michigan's 9th Congressional District. Thanks very much for being with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much, Stephen. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, we'll catch up with you soon. Up next, we're going to talk with the former state Senate Majority Leader, Randy Richardville, a longtime Trump supporter. We want to hear what he thought of last night's speech, and we want to continue to hear from you. John on the east side, Phyllis and Warren, Tim in Detroit. We will get to you next. Stay with us on Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We're talking today about Donald Trump's second State of the Union address, uh, the second time he's addressed this joint session of Congress, as presidents do, to talk about his plans and where he thinks he is in his presidency. Uh, we want to hear from you, what you thought of the speech, what you thought of the ideas 
in his speech. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, We want to begin this segment of the show with another uh, quote from the president. This maybe was the quote of the night. An economic miracle is taking place in the United States, and the only thing that can stop it are foolish wars, politics, or ridiculous partisan investigations. There is going to be peace and legislation. There cannot be war and investigation. It just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. So says the president of the United States about all of the trouble that he is in, apparently, or that uh, his administration has been in with regard to the the Justice Department. Joining us now to talk more about the president's speech is Randy Richardville. He's a former state Senate majority leader, a Republican from Monroe, and the former 7th Congressional District Chair for the Donald Trump campaign in 2016. Randy, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. How are you? It's unusual to speak with you on a Wednesday morning. Usually it's Friday. It's usually Friday, and usually you're here in studio with us. uh, Yeah, and I enjoy that. We're happy to have you here on the phone. Uh, Let's talk about your reaction first to that line in the president's speech last night. Uh, What did you make of it? Well, that was probably the singular, maybe most political uh, comment or, or comments that he made. Uh, not unlike, I believe Richard Nixon made a similar comment back during his investigation. <laughs> he did. I think Bill Clinton did during his. So the fact that it was mentioned, I think that's okay. Uh, I don't think he elaborated and went into a lot of detail, which I think would have been probably inappropriate or not that interesting. But, uh, you know, he made his comment and it was over. The, the rest of the speech, the, the more substantive parts, I thought he did a pretty good job. He even had that whole group with... Uh, the white outfits on getting up and, and applauding several times. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he kind of poked fun at them at, at some point as well. Um, uh, the 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 major victory that this president claims is the strength of the economy, and he talked about that last night as well. Uh, do you think the economy is performing as well as he says it is, and do you think it's because he's president that the economy continues to do well? Well, you know, I think the economy is uh, doing very well. Um, You know, I think we made something like 17 plus million uh, cars in the last couple of years. That's usually a pretty good economic indicator of how the United States economy is doing. I believe some of his policies regarding foreign trade and, uh, you know, equalizing tariffs and all is, is smart. And revamping NAFTA, I think, makes a lot of sense, too. I am proud of the words made in the USA. I'm not sure if that's actually four words or not, but, you know, I guess that doesn't matter. Um, and, and then I also look, though, uh, as importantly as at um, the individual states. You know, Michigan's economy has surpassed many others uh, during this same boom, um, going from 53rd, if you count our territories, in, in the country like eight years ago, to uh, now being in the top ten. So I think individual states and what they do is as important as what's happening on the grand stage. 
But uh, one thing that may have gone a little bit unnoticed, and probably in my from my vantage point, maybe the singular most impactful for Michigan comments that he made had to do with revamping the infrastructure investment in the United States. We obviously have had significant issues regarding infrastructure. Uh, Flint water would be one indication. Our roads would be others. It would be another. Um, and the formula that distributed fuel funding, in other words, the federal tax on fuel that goes to Washington, D.C., has been um, unfair to the state of Michigan for somewhere around 60 years, where we've gotten anywhere from 88 to 93 cents back for every dollar, while other states get $2 back for every dollar that they spend. If this is going to be a serious remake of the infrastructure investment in the United States, those formulas need to be addressed. And uh, it's long overdue, and that's one of the major reasons our roads have been crumbling the way they are is because we're not getting our fair share from our federal government dollars. But, but the president wasn't very specific about what he would like to do about infrastructure. And it, it seems to me that the State of the Union is the place where if you're the president, uh, you get to lay out some actual plans. You get to ask for some things from Congress that might advance your agenda. He, he didn't do that last night, and I, I guess I was sort of scratching my head as to why. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. You know, he is one out of 536 congressmen, congresswomen, and senators, and the president. So there's, there's a whole lot of voices up there. What that says to me there's an incredible opportunity for Gary Peters, Debbie Stabenow, our congressional delegation, the newly elected Governor Whitmer, who already has met with Donald Trump, to say if anybody should be involved with repairing infrastructure and detailing how that would be spent and where it should be spent, the state of Michigan is the leader. There's no place where it's more important than Michigan with the water supply that we have, with the issues that we have had, and with the roads. And you know, I mentioned the Great Lakes and the, the underground aquifers and the infrastructure that is unique to Michigan. We should be getting more dollars back for the dollars that we spend instead of less. So the way I see it, although he did not get into any great detail, that's a great opportunity for us to push that detail and say Michigan should be the leader when it comes to revamping infrastructure. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page or go to Twitter. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Jerry in Detroit. Jerry, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Um, um, long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, very cool. Thank you. Um, um, I've been lis listening to you on um, on um, on public television with um, Christy McDonald as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, I'd like to bring up a couple of points with regard to the State of the Union address, um, if I may, and I'll try to make this quick. Um, first, you know, when the president, you know, still trying to take credit for low black and Hispanic un unemployment being at historic lows. Um, he's, he's got the, um, the white community believing that it was because of him when it was really under Barack, under Barack Obama. And, and second, um, I listen to a lot of um, radio and TV talk shows, and I hear a lot of white people complaining about Donald Trump being picked on and put upon, upon a lot when these same, dare I say, and I hate to say this, these racist white people 
These were the same racist white people who trashed Barack Obama throughout his entire presidency. And I was wondering if your guest, um, what his guest thinks of the hypocrisy the white community has, especially, you know, with regard to um, with uh, with the recent Martin Luther King Jr. holiday and Donald Trump's 60-second photo op. Mm. And to me, Martin Luther King was no hero to most to most white people. And I was wondering what you think of that. Yeah, Jerry, I really appreciate the call uh, and the questions. Uh, Randy Richardville, he makes an interesting point, which is that uh, African-American and Latino unemployment was headed down for years before uh, Donald Trump uh, assumed the presidency. But he has been quick to seize on that. It continues to go down as uh, a feather in his cap. Is, is that fair? And is it sort of hypocritical for uh, for white Americans to, to sort of take credit for that? Well, you know, I, I can't be a judge and jury for what Donald Trump says and does. I, I will say this, the State of the Union, uh, which I've only attended one, and that was uh, Barack Obama's, I think, third or fourth. I can't mm-hmm. remember right now which one it was. We were there, we were there at the same time. It was, yes. uh, I think it was the last, of, or the second to last one. Yeah. And I got to meet the president, walk around with him after the speech, and talk to him specifically about bipartisan politics and a few other things. And we had a very, a very nice conversation, and I enjoyed that speech. I've been to I think fourteen or so State of the State addresses too. Some of them in very close proximity to the speaker. And uh, you know, the State of the State or the State of the Union is okay. Where are we today? So when he states a fact. Regarding minority unemployment, he is stating the fact. It, it, who's going to take credit for it? Is he taking credit for it? Well, he's not disavowing it. They're saying that it's a bad thing. So, you know, uh, who's taking credit for that doesn't matter to me as much as the fact that it is happening. We should celebrate that together. I do. I do celebrate that. And I'm a big fan of Martin Luther King's. Uh, you know, I co-pastor a small church down here in Monroe County, and uh, on my bookshelf, a number of Martin Luther King books. I, I've studied his life, studied his speeches, and think he's one of the wisest Americans we've ever had. And uh, so I'm not a racist, and I don't want to, you know, point fingers at people in one way or another. Um, people have their feelings and they have their opinions, but uh, I'll just let the words, you know, kind of judge themselves. Uh, you know, I wondered what you make, though, of the problems that the Republican Party has with minority voters uh, and minority Americans, African-Americans and Latino, uh, making the case that, uh, for instance, uh, they are for equality and opportunity, uh, especially in the era of this president and the things that he says and does uh, that, that, that push back against those things. Uh, do, do, you, uh, do you worry that, uh, that the message that you embrace for instance, is not embraced by most people in the GOP. Well, I know that the message that I do embrace and the the, the people that I do, um, I, I, I adhere to most Republican principles, and uh, I don't believe that's a principle. I think it's more of a characteristic of some of the members that claim to be Republicans. I think you know that I was the co-chairman of John James' campaign for the United States Senate. Mm-hmm. He's an African-American from the Detroit area, a veteran and uh, a Christian believer. We have very similar belief systems, and uh, I supported him and believe that he has 
the possibilities of speaking in the same kind of way, touching people that a Martin Luther King did. I mean, he, I think he's a very dynamic 37, 38-year-old man who is going to grow into a great leader in the country. And it had nothing to do with race. It had to do with principles. So sometimes, you know, the, the, the louder voices that don't speak for the majority are the ones that are heard and talked about the most. And uh, I'd rather minimize those conversations and maximize the ones that bring us together. One of the things that happens is there's a difference, and it's subtle, the word bipartisan and the word nonpartisan. Um, sure. And they are different. And I think that the state of the state, or when you get up and talk about Democrats and Republicans, you leave the biggest majority out, and that's the independent. And they are the ones that make decisions on whether you vote Democrat or Republican, because both parties have about 30%, about 40% in the middle are going to lean one way or another. Sometimes it has to do with image, and sometimes it has to do with facts. Mm. This State of the State, uh, or State of the Union address, I thought was pretty much on the point. The agenda was clear. He uh, addressed some of the things that are difficult to talk about, difficult to get agreement around. The proof will be in the pudding. You know, are we going to have this wall? Does it do what, what we say it's going to do? Is it going to be a virtual wall? Is it gonna be, what, what exactly is going to happen with that? And I hope that that is resolved relatively soon. Um, because I think it's more political than anything else at this point. Again, Jerry, thanks very much for the call and the question. Uh, let's go to Tim in Detroit. Tim, welcome to Detroit morning, today. Tim, how are you? Hey, how are you? I'm doing fine on this chilly day. <laughs> I was looking at CNN for the duration and the rebuttal of the uh, State of the Union. Three key words that were mentioned were most appropriate, denial, uh, very much uh, no substance, and, of course, I would add that it was very much disjointed all over the place. It was also, if you can imagine, the Maypole days of when we were very small, how children would walk in uh, a circular and counterclockwise around a pole, wrapping it in various forms of colorful tissue. That is what, what he is doing. The pole is the emotional mindset of America. All of those artificial pretty colors of different tapes are the issues that he talked about last night that really almost had no place being there, had absolutely no uh, resolve, no policy, no anything to uh, pull together as a cohesive, meaningful State of the Union address. Two or three of them that he didn't talk about, he loved putting the military out there because he knows everybody loves American superiority, even though he's making a mockery of that. But he didn't talk about the tailhook situation that Senator McCain years ago was supposed to look into and clean up. He has yet to address the fact that most of our equally trained, skilled, and intelligent women who go off to war and are trained come back brutally beaten, demoralized, pregnant, and they dare not say anything because their male, white male counterparts who are their superiors will drum them out of the military before anybody can say, well, what is your problem? He has yet to talk about poverty and what his administration is going to do to address and curb that. And he sure in the hell didn't talk about black, brown Americans being strapped in their cars behind their wheels, being brutalized, murdered, killed, and shot by not all, but the rogue officer of the law who feels as though that he's threatened by this black man who's looking at him and all of a sudden he has the right to shoot this person. Mm. Our country is, you know, I, I don't want to outright say dumb, but we like the things that came out of this man's mouth. Okay, but where's your intellectual solvency to say, I like what he's saying, but I don't like this man's delivery? 
They liked him. They liked his delivery. They feel as though he's representing them. Poor white America is getting to be kicked in their rear end. Um, uh, the motorcycle group, Harley Davidson, said, fine, you're doing us a disservice. We'll right. go to Mexico. Right. Even on NPR, I heard there was an interview at a trailer company. made. They're only made in Texas, and they said, we cannot survive with these ICE raids coming into us every other week and getting out uh, my workforce every week. But that's okay, Mr. Trump. We're going to go to Mexico. So when he says a good economy, a good uh, infrastructure, a good um, military, and he's now destroying all military uh, treaties yeah, Tim, that were made to keep Tim, everybody I'm, I'm in check. Gonna, I'm going to run out of time here. I don't mean to cut you off, but I do want to get uh, Randy Ridgerville to, to, to respond to that. There, there is something about the way that this president speaks and, and, and what he says I think leaves people, or some people at least, uh, wanting for a little more thought uh, that that might be behind the words. Uh, can you can you talk about can you talk about that? Well, I, I suppose I didn't quite catch what the the question was. There were some valid points raised by the caller. the The one that I uh, agree the most with is that. Uh, poverty hasn't been talked about a whole lot by this administration, has prior been. administrations, or people in general. In the city of Detroit, Ben Cole Thompson has got an organization who is really trying to generate interest. I've written an article or, or two for uh, his publication. Um, there really needs to be uh, a concerted effort to address poverty, especially in bigger cities like Detroit, uh, which is obviously the biggest one in Michigan. Sure. I mean, and, the pro uh, the question is always what you do, right? Uh, how you invest yeah. in opportunity. And there's a lot of people who talk about poverty a lot, but uh, don't offer a lot of solutions, uh, don't think about what kinds of investments we need or how to move the needle on them. This president, I think, uh, is guilty of not even sort of uh, talking in that space or thinking in that space. Well, I think I think he definitely owes a, a visit to the city of Detroit. I, I hope that Governor Whitmer, and I mentioned this in an article that I wrote uh, uh, toward the end of last year, uh, you know, if um, the president won the presidency because Michigan voted for him, I mean, you can argue that Michigan was the, the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Um, we deserve a, a good hard look in, in the city of Detroit at some of the issues that are holding people down there. And I, I think Governor Whitmer, I've known her a long time, has a, has a heart for that. Um, I hope that her administration digs into and goes to spend some time in Detroit. The, the group of uh, Detroit pastors that, that I know and have worked with in the past um, can see these things up, up close and personal. And, um, you know, it's time that the, the, all the talking stopped and somebody actually did something, because that's it's such a sad thing that we have uh, poverty like that when you talk about the economy doing yeah. what it is and people yeah. that are unemployed and people that are stuck in places that uh, yeah. uh, uh, Randy, I'm going to I'm going to run out of time here. I don't mean to cut you off either, but <laughs> right. uh, I want to thank you very much for being here with us on Detroit today. It's always a pleasure, Stephen. Thank yeah. you. That's going to do it for us. I'll be back tomorrow. Hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.